You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jen Wilkin and JT English today. And on today's episode, we're going to be discussing the parables in Matthew. So kind of looking at the parables in general as a genre of literature, but then we're going to be looking at the parables in Matthew, specifically Matthew 13, just to kind of test out some ways of reading the parables and our awareness and literacy around the parables. And um, you might think, listen, I'm really interested in this, and I want some helpful resources maybe to listen to after the show. You can find the first semester of our Matthew Bible class uh, online, both the audio and the guide on tvcresources.net. And uh, as a church, uh, the village is about to enter into, in three or four weeks, uh, enter into a sermon series on the kingdom of God. Uh, And so as we embark on that, you might find this discussion on the parables to be helpful. We hope that you do. We hope that you enjoy the discussion. Okay, JT, what's your problem? (laughs) My problem is, and this is not a joke, you have toothpaste on your sweatshirt again. I swear to anybody who's listening to me, Kyle has toothpaste on his sweatshirt. It's moving from being funny to being alarming. Do you have like... A salivary problem? Is no, it I, honestly, a I'm, glandular I'm misfunction? A, I'm, alar- I'm alarmed that more people don't have toothpaste on their shirts. Because I think, listen, the toothpaste on my shirt is an indicator of like, hey, you know what this dude did? He brushed his teeth this morning. No, but what he's not going to tell you right now is he tried to lie about it <laughs> the first time it came up. And he's like, it's yogurt from my daughter's breakfast. And I was like, you know, that's not it yogurt. Could <laughs> it could be yogurt. It's yogurt. <laughs> Whatever okay. it is, it's huge. <laughs> it is. Like it wasn't I, honestly, like a little dribble came out of your mouth. I mean, we're talking like no. I'm I'm a you thorough, squirted I'm a, the toothpaste. I'm a onto thorough. Your shirt. I'm a thorough brusher. And uh, listen, in full candor here, I want to just say, uh, I moved. You talk. About, we've talked about liturgy and habit before. If you've been in one of our learning environments, then you know a big thing that you hear from us is that habit and liturgy is formative. So for 28 years of my life, I brushed my teeth with just a kind of manual toothbrush. And about six months ago, I made the move to an like one of those like high powered wow. like straight paint control off the now. house toothbrush <laughs> and i every morning i'll put the toothpaste on there and i don't put it in my mouth before i turn it on because i i feel like i could just turn it on and i turn it on and it slings that toothpaste <laughs> out like a mixer that's going too high okay and it just boom it shoots right over my shirt and i'm like well i'm brushing my teeth the last thing generally before i got the door cuz i want my breath to smell great and then I get in the car and I'm like, oh man, there's toothpaste. But you know what? I work with my brother and sister and they're surely not going to keep making fun of me. I think as you misunderstand their brother-sister relationship. As your sister, can I just ask, have you considered maybe dropping back a model on the toothbrush? <laughs> like, or a speed? <laughs> gonna need to like push it down yeah. a little bit? Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, and this is actually maybe a good segue, is that to talk about important things, sometimes Jesus <laughs> used the images <laughs> and the life around that. I'm sure if there had been electric toothbrushes in uh, Galilee, Jesus would have been like, listen, it's like when, you know, you turn on your electric toothbrush. But he did it. But in the parables, which we're talking about today, Jesus was often picking up and pulling from the world around him to make a point. Right, And so we're going to talk about the parables. So we probably, if we're going to talk about the parables, should just ask the very simple question, what is a parable? 
What's a parable? Uh, I usually describe them as deceptively simple stories that oh, are used like that. to illustrate episode. a truth. That's good. Uh, I'm, I'm writing this down because I'm teaching on it tonight. Okay, <laughs> good. Glad I could help. Uh, and, you know, there it's a genre, so it's important for us to recognize that when Jesus tells the parables, he's not winging it. Well, obviously, he's Jesus, mm-hmm. so he wouldn't be winging it. But and, and that's important, too, is to recognize how intentionally chosen these images are and, these, and the way these stories are crafted. Because I think we've heard them so often sometimes that they we can almost forget that it was Jesus who who gave them mm-hmm. and 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 so anytime you encounter a parable you can look for certain things. Parables are not fables, right? You don't have uh, talking unicorns or they're, they're not they're not mythical in, in the way that they're presented. They exist within reality. They're everyday images, not to us maybe because we don't go fish or we don't keep gardens. The parable of the sonic brush 600 would be familiar to Kyle. Uh, oh, yes, yeah. yes, a brusher yeah. went out to brush. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or, or spread toothpaste on the rocky soil. Or, be, yeah. or beware of those who clean the inside of the yeah. hut while leaving the outside dirty. Wow. <laughs> a reversal. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, they can feel inaccessible to us because we're removed culturally and historically from them sure. a little bit. But they're actually not that hard to they're access, right. especially relative to other parts of Scripture. And the other thing that always cracks me up about the parables is how when Jesus gives them, the disciples are like, oh, yeah, we get that. What? Right. Yeah, so. yeah. Come over here. And, we're gonna talk, <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit when we get to Matthew 13. <clears throat> Where do we find parables? So if somebody's like opening up their Bible and maybe they started a Bible reading plan this year, when should they expect to start seeing parables? Are they unique to one genre of literature? Do we see them elsewhere? Uh, uh, so Psalm 78 talks about Yahweh. He's going to come to speak in parables. So parable literature is seen uh, elsewhere in the Bible, but primarily we're going to find them in the Gospels as Jesus mm-hmm. is coming to... The synoptic talk, Gospels. Yeah, 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 exactly. So Jesus is coming to talk about God's saving plan and what God is going to do. And he's speaking in these, I, I don't know if you've heard this before, but these deceptively simple ways. Uh, <laughs> to, that sounds good, <laughs> you, you like that? Yeah. To, to talk about what God is doing in Jesus. What are some common features of parables? So somebody's reading through parables, they might see, oh yeah, this this happens and this happens, or they're structured like this. Like I know one of the things that parables always strike me as is that you know one of the, I guess traditional ways or a unique feature of Hebrew literature, and uh, I don't know if it's Hebrew literature. I, I need to check that. It may just be ancient Near Eastern literature in general, but I know that the Hebrew literature uses a lot is repetition. Mm-hmm. That it's recursive. So it'll 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 give you a kind of a, a train of thought, and then mm-hmm. it'll kind of walk that path again, but from a different angle. It's not saying two different things. It's saying the same thing two different ways. And parables, though, like Jesus, oftentimes when you find a set of parables, it's rare to find one of them. There's like a grouping of them. Right. And so there's kind of repetition. It's Jesus walking a path and it's like, you see what I did there? No, you don't. Okay, look, let me walk yeah. it back with you. You still don't see it? Let me let me walk it again with you. Well, not only that, he's taking an existing form, a, a, a teaching method, and then he's doing what he usually does. He's, he's, he's using it for his own ends, mm-hmm. right? So he knows that when he begins to tell the story, everybody kind of intuitively knows the rules. They know that they should expect that there would be triads. There would be, there would be you know, three uh, elements a lot of times. Everybody knows that there will be an end stress. Everybody knows that, you know, uh, like another thing that distinguishes a parable from other forms is it's not allegorical in the sense that every piece of it doesn't have significance, right? right? And he'll, you'll, you'll know which parts are significant. Right if you're just reading it at the level that you're supposed to. And so he will take 
their expectation, oh, there will probably be three characters that show up in this story, but then he'll take the nature of those characters and he will twist it so that there is a level of surprise or paradox that they're not looking for. So, so there's a twist. There is yeah, a lot kind of, of revision. A there's a revision of a genre that's happening here. There's repetition. It's recursive. Are there any other unique features? I think there's uh, like a almost like a depth of meaning when he does this repetitiously. So you think of like a. I often think of like a maybe a jeweler showing off a diamond. You put a diamond against a black cloth, and you're not just showing one side of the diamond. So you think of the diamond being the kingdom of heaven, and the mm-hmm. kingdom of God, and the gospels. Mm-hmm. And it's not just one sided or having kind of one face to it, but Jesus is kind of turning the diamond slowly to show the beauty and to show the depth of this multifaceted kingdom of God. To show his disciples that this is this is far from what you were expecting, but it's far more beautiful than anything you've ever imagined. And then there's a level of organization that exists outside of any individual parable, right? You've got there, you've got levels of organizations and expectations within individual parables, but then you have intentional groupings of parables so that there's repetition across parables or that there's a shifting of the focus across parables. So the kingdom of heaven might be described from two different vantage points, or you might have a series of parables that describe it basically exactly the same. Uh, in fact, you know, I know we're going to look at Matthew 13 you see the same idea repeated really essentially three times between the parable of the sower and the wheat and the weeds and then the the clean and unclean fish, but he gets briefer as he goes along, mm-hmm. right? yeah. which is what we all do, right? You know, right. you're like, hey, by the time you get to this last one, you're mm-hmm. seeing what I've boiled down to the right. essentials of the idea that I want to communicate. Yeah, that's really good. I, I don't know if I've picked up on that. I, and then I think we've already mentioned in passing, but just bears repeating in this section that just one of the, the, the common features is that Jesus is pulling from the world around them. It's right. stuff they know. Yeah. Like it's gritty. He's, he's, like, he's like, yeah, you know how like a mustard seed, like many of us aren't using mustard seeds on a daily basis, but like, like <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, mustard seed. Like, I get that. Or leaven, right? Like, a lot of us probably aren't making bread a lot. And so we're like, yeah, you know, uh, leaven. I mean, we kind of have to enter into that world. But it's a world that the audience would have been very familiar with. Well, not only that, but some of the commentaries I've read talk about how it's entirely possible that some of these parables are told within eyesight of these activities happening, which is makes me feel warm and fuzzy that Jesus is so uh, gentle with his listeners. Yeah, and kind to accommodate. Mm -hmm. It's just part of God's accommodating to his people is just to kind of condescend and say like, and Jesus even says, if I've spoken to you of heavenly things, right, or earthly Mm -hmm. things, how are you going to understand if I speak to you of heavenly things? So he's like, I'm speaking your language, like to the best that I can. I'm trying to compare these mysterious realities, these kingdom mysteries to things that you get, Mm -hmm. like you use, that you Mm -hmm. have in your home. Well, when you think about, I'd love to just do a thought exercise. Can you think of modern day parables? Like, is there like when you think about like a modern day parable or a modern day appropriation of the genre? Can you think of anything? Because like I, I don't think that it's gone. So like I think most films, for example, are a are a retelling of the parable of the pearl of great price. Like that idea of like that parable has just carried forward in a substantive way where it's like pretty much every story that you hear or a lot of stories that you hear are stories about like giving up everything to get one thing. Right. Mm, sure. Right. So it's like giving up everything that you get. So I think about like uh, the movie Whiplash. Like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Whiplash. It's a, it's a great film. 
But the movie Whiplash is about like this singular determination to give up everything to get to this one thing. And I bring that up just because it's still uh, a, an opportunity for us as believers is to, to not just learn from the parables, mm-hmm. but to learn how to speak in parables, right? That's good. Yeah. To, to pull in part of our speaking the gospel in vernacular is mimicking the ministry of Jesus and saying like, oh yeah, like it's this isn't unlike something that you understand. You know this. Oh, and I think that we still use that in our teaching, right? I mean, when you come up with an opening illustration, you're essentially telling telling a parable. Exactly. So, I mean, I did that last night when we started in, you know, to Matthew. I talked about um, my dog. It was actually gardening. So I was very Jesus-like, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Some you extra points. So Christ-like. Yeah, but like shovel. Mary-Kate is, you know, she's taking a class in um, <laughs> socio-horticulture, which is that green spaces, the deliberate green spaces in urban settings actually contribute to the well-being of the humans who get to spend time in it's them. It's a whole class on that. Whole class. And I was like, can I just drive down for that and hunker down in the back? Oh. Uh, so I, I had different reactions to hearing about that glass. So I was nerding out over that. And then I told her, I'm like, you have to tell me everything you're learning in this class because I knew there is a, there's a wealth of illustration material that's going to come out of that, (laughs) that I can use when I'm teaching. So I'm making her do my job. You okay, Kyle? I am. I just, just hit those precious curly whites the, on the microphone. I hit the mic. I was laughing at what Jen was saying. <laughs> the good news is they're super the clean. <laughs> yeah, this mic has never been cleaner than it is right now. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened. I'm, I'm like Your flushed well brushed red right now. teeth um, just hit the mic. Why, why does Jesus use secretive ways of speaking? Like, mm-hmm. it seems like... When, when you hear Jesus explain the parables, which he does in Matthew 13, the purpose of the parables, he, he says in verses 10 through 17, the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he <laughs> to answered them. them. You're right, you're right, you're right. Like, like the disciples, because later on, they're going to come back to him and be like, hey, can you go back over that parable again? <laughs> right, like we get it, but... But we just need to hear it again. I think John misunderstood. Yeah, can you you well, and then he flat out asks him, he says, have you understood all these things? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody's looking around the room like, yeah, mm-hmm, who's going to be the one that says no? That's probably Peter. But uh, And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then he goes on to quote uh, the prophet Isaiah. And then he said, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Listen, on the first reading of that, it kind of sounds mean. Like Jesus is saying, I'm deliberately speaking in a way where some will hear it and Mm -hmm. some will see it and some won't. Well, I do think this is a really important idea for anyone who wants to study the Bible. Yeah. Because my experience is that people think that just opening the Bible and putting themselves in front of it means that the Holy Spirit will just drop understanding on them to reward them for having given time to it. And what Jesus is actually setting up here is an understanding of how we encounter truth through words mm-hmm. uh, and that it's not always immediately evident that understanding grows over time. Like you have to know that the disciples remembered these parables later and understood them at a different level than they did in the moment. So we should expect really that when <laughs> we come to the Bible, we should not put it in a category of disciple of, of, of you know discipleship tools that will be intuitive or easy. We should understand that like all other areas of following Christ, this too will require effort and patience and um, careful thought 
thought. Yep. Amen to all of that. I also think something that's that's uh, a part of this conversation is that all knowledge of God or all understanding of who he is is something that's given, given. not mm-hmm. something that's taken from him. Mm-hmm. So, and that's hard for us to understand when it comes to understanding the Bible or God is because every other subject field, we're, we, I think, view ourselves as being kind of above the subject, eliciting knowledge from it. So like we stand above math, we stand above science, and we're kind of just kind of filtering through data as we as we as we kind of get it or take it. But with theology it's entirely different. Our understanding of humanity, our understanding of the fall is that we've been separated from God and we are in need of God being gracious to us in revealing himself to us. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly true here with the parables also. So so and just maybe one practical point for that is is that we should never be patting ourselves on the back for coming to an understanding of who God is right. in Jesus right. Christ. Every single time we come to a greater understanding of who God is and how he's revealed himself in Christ, we worship God and we thank him and we have hearts of gratitude and thanksgiving because he's given us something that is so gracious that we didn't have access to before him. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. I think that's really good. And I think on that is that we're just not entitled to it. I mean, part of the kingdom rhythm, uh, I think a lot of times we trivialize the ministry of Jesus that it was only invitation. Jesus is inviting people, but the kingdom rhythm is both invitation and warning. Mm -hmm. It's invitation Mm -hmm. and separation. So Jesus will say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And then uh, when he's praying to the Father, he say, listen, I'm not praying for everybody. I'm just praying for my people. Mm -hmm. So there is an invitation and separation that's happening in the ministry of Jesus. And the parables reflect that. He's saying, like, listen, hey, for some of you, this is the time. This is the season for you to hear this. And then for others, it's just not. And why is that? Well, it's the will of the Father. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's what it is. And he's, he is very frank about that reality for the <laughs> whole duration of the gospel. That's right. It's really, it's a, it shocks our sensibilities because we think we're going to come to Jesus and Jesus is just like arms wide open, everybody all the time. That's not the case. It, it's not. And that's not to say that Jesus is also like, you know, barring people from the door. He's the same person who welcomes children, but he does say both to the religious leaders and then to some of the times the audience, like, this is not for you right yep. now. To some it is forgiven, some to some it is not. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of focus in, let's kind of dig in to Matthew 13. And the the reason we picked Matthew 13, we could have picked a number of passages here. Matthew 13 is just a great passage because it's Jesus talking about what the parables are for. But then he also just stacks a lot of parables on top of one another. 
And so uh, when you look at Matthew 13, you can just look at the subject headings across the little passages and say, this is like one big stack of parables. So I think we should just ask the question, what's going on in this passage? Let's give a little bit of context to it, purpose, maybe some connections between the parables. What do we see here? Yeah, so I think the first thing we have to think about is that, yes, I know we're considering Matthew 13, but we even need to zoom out a little bit further in terms of understanding the entire storyline of the Bible is that this Matthew 13 is not happening outside of a context. This is happening at a very specific time and point in Israel's history where Jesus is trying to, I think, reframe or redefine what Israel's expectations were of the coming salvation that Yahweh was bringing. There was a very kind of common understanding of what was going to happen. And we, I think if we read the gospels, we have at least a basic understanding of that is that at some point, Yahweh is going to just blitz into history and overthrow the worldly powers through might, through force, through Mm -hmm. violence. And so you can understand maybe the stories of the Maccabees and understand, and, and so you have this kind of imperial governing force uh, living in um, in Israel, which is the land that's been given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you have this kind of Roman prefect living in Israel. And Jesus is saying, contrary to their expectations, that God's kingdom is coming in a very, very different way in terms mm-hmm. of redefining and re-envisioning what God is going to do. So sometimes I think we can read the parables, uh, and this is the way Jonathan Pennington talks about it, kind of episodically, like the TV episodes, Mm -hmm. divorced from this much greater storyline. So these have got to be read much more as the movie of what God is doing in Israel's history. Does that make sense? No, I think that's really helpful. So that's kind of like the uh, history of redemption context. Yes, you have to think about, you have this audience, both disciples and non-disciples, and they're both intensely interested in what is God going to do in Israel's history right now. Yeah. And Jesus is teaching about what God is doing. That's good. So that's kind of high level context. Mm Mm-hmm. So then you have the context of the book of Matthew, right? Which is in this case. So this is you know the book of Matthew is probably the most easily identified organization in terms of the Gospels. Like it has a, it's fairly highly organized uh, compared to the others, and it's uh, the midsection of it is comprised of these five blocks. Each of them ended with a with a with a discourse, with a teaching. And this is the third of those um, five discourses. And it comes at a point in the story where Jesus' ministry has progressed to the point that his disciples are now seeing several responses. They're seeing people who are responding gladly. They're seeing people who are still kind of on the fence, trying to make their minds up. And then they're beginning to see an adversarial response to his ministry. And so it makes sense that at this particular point in the narrative, Jesus begins to tell them, and he tells them seven, right, a significant number, Mm -hmm. seven parables that are going to help them once again, as he's done in the Sermon on the Mount, he's all along, he has reoriented their expectations, but he's going to tell them parables that will help them recognize that these responses are not worrying that they are what they should expect. And in fact, these parables are going to illustrate that they should expect an increase in in some of the things that they're seeing, this adversarial relationship, this rejection piece that some people are uh, appear to be in the kingdom and are not. Um, the kingdom it may appear that it's not flourishing, but it is in fact flourishing. So he's, 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 he's helping them have a, a right expectation of where things are going to go. That's good. So we got high level, mm-hmm. issue of redemption, gospel period. We have Matthew. And then the immediate context here, so Jesus is on a boat, <laughs> right? And there's a crowd. There's a mixed gathering. Mm-hmm. Uh, Floating and, pulpit. Right. And so he's out there. That's a and, great idea. You, you, really? You think so? <laughs> we'll let you try it out. Okay. <laughs> 
And so, uh, because well, he, it says he goes out of the house, he's sitting by the sea, and great cow, great crowds show up. Not great cows, great crowds <laughs> show up. Maybe there were cows there as well, but great crowds show up. <laughs> and so Jesus is like, okay, let me get out there. So he's sitting on a boat, and he begins to teach them. So it's a mixed group. We know mm-hmm. the disciples are there, yep. but we also know that there's a lot of crowds. These are people that are showing up because they've heard about Jesus. They know he's around. They've probably heard the great things that he's done. The Sermon on the Mount has already been preached, so maybe there's been like a a BuzzFeed article or whatever was going on in Israel at the time about like, man, can you believe Jesus said this? He's like the top trending thing on, the, on Twitter on, hashtag. Yeah, Stop. yeah. Stop it. Okay. <laughs> and so, but people know about Jesus. Okay. So he's probably not an unknown entity at this point. Like they're familiar with him. That's why they're showing up either by his deeds or by his words. And he begins to talk to them in parables. And so when we're looking at Matthew 13, we're seeing all of these parables stack up. So, Jen, you say there's seven parables mm-hmm. here. Is there a common thread in these parables? Well, they're all telling us something that's true about the kingdom that he has come to inaugurate, right? So his message, if you look for a summary statement of Jesus' teachings in the Gospel of Matthew, it's repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we should expect that these parables as part of a, of a lengthy teaching would fit under that general theme. Uh, and so the, he's telling them, in what sense the kingdom of heaven is at hand and how it will be recognized and um, who will be in it. And so that's how the parables fall together. So let's jump into one of these. Can I, can I piggyback on that for just a second real of, quick? Of course. I just have I, to. I, I, serve the last the pl- word. I serve at the pleasure of JT English. <laughs> Go for it, man. Can we get that as a clip for later, <laughs> just for our next staff meeting? Um, re- totally related to, I think, the kingdom of God is he's, the, the, of course, the big theme in all these parables is the kingdom of God, but the subversive nature of yeah, the kingdom of God, I think, is a, is a massive theme here. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just want to, like, get us into the grittiness and kind of the granular nature of, like, when you have just this kind of country bumpkin from Nazareth coming up saying the kingdom of God is like, that is an incredibly mm-hmm. subversive thing when you have Herod just down the road who thinks he is king over the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And so th- you begin to understand the nature of why Jesus is saying, don't go say this yet, say this, mm-hmm. you can say this here, because right. there are these political tensions at stake here for Jesus. This isn't, this isn't just some kind of like spiritual reality. It's a very political reality. The kingdom of God is at hand and this guy who thinks he's king isn't. Mm-hmm. And so there's this subversive nature, not only related to maybe political realities, also just related to the assumptions of Israel. Mm-hmm. Every single person who's hearing this, who assumes themselves that they're a part of the kingdom of God, is going to have to lay down their assumptions about what God is like and about what God is doing in salvation history through mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. And if you're unwilling to lay your previous assumptions aside, those are going to be the people who don't receive what yeah. Jesus is teaching. That's good. That's good. That's good. So let's jump into one of these examples. Let's talk about the parable of the weeds. There's a lot. Uh, I, I feel like when you think about Matthew 13, the parables that we're probably most familiar with here, I, I mean, at least the ones that I, I'm most familiar with are the parable of the hidden treasure, you know, that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure and hidden in a field, man finds it, goes and sells everything he has, parable of the pearl of great price. Those are things that have, I feel like even if you aren't as familiar with the Bible, you might be familiar with those parables. But the parable of the weeds is also one that generally generates a lot of discussion because because it's, it's just a little interesting. So I want to read the whole passage for us, and then we'll come back and we'll just talk through it. Yeah. 
He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to them, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the, ser- so the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So then he left the crowds and he went to his house, and I love this part. His disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the, wor- and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The son of man will send his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom all, uh, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. And that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Yeah, so I think one of the things that's important to notice is that Jesus doesn't belabor the the interpretation. Like we don't get more than, yeah, that's the devil. And you're like, wait, can you talk more about that? And he just doesn't because really it's important anytime you're looking at the parables to remember, only dig as deeply as Jesus does when Mm -hmm. he starts talking about them. But there's plenty in that level of depth that you will get to. And so one of the things that distinguishes the most important thing, like we're not, most of us are not horticulturalists you know, except for myself here, mm-hmm. I, I'm actually really into that stuff. And so the the difference between weed and weeds is, and the, apparently the word there for weeds is one that is like a, it's basically like what we have, the wild oats that grow in the United States. So it mm. looks exactly like wheat as long as it's growing until a critical point in the development process, which is wheat always yields fruit and this, this doesn't. Mm. And so the distinction is fruitfulness, right? And that's a really important thing for us to notice because you can read this and be like, what's going on here? Is there some arbitrary distinction between which plants are weeds and which aren't? And really what he's doing is is he is reiterating what scripture says elsewhere, that those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven will be known by their fruit. Yeah, right. That's good. That's good. A lot of times this conversation generates some... Questions about the church right. and the makeup of the church. Right. So, uh, you know, there'll be folks who say, listen, uh, the church, like, and, and by that they mean like a local church, will always be a, a mixed body, mm-hmm. right? essentially of people who are genuine believers and those who are not. Mm-hmm. And that it's wrong for the church to try to separate those out um, in its own life because that's something that's going to happen at the end of the age. Mm-hmm. So there are some churches that would just say, listen, we're allowing both of these folks to kind of come through the life of the church together. We're not going to try to make any of those distinctions about who is a, like essentially a, a Christian or not. Uh, and then knowing that at the close of the age, the Lord's going to s- sort this. But some other churches, our own tradition, has generally taken a different angle on this yeah. of saying that, no, 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 this isn't about the mixed nature of the local church. It's about the mixed nature of the like universal church, so to speak, or the invisible 
church, right? Which is that when we look at it globally or when we look at it over the, uh, the course of history and across the globe, that there are some who would claim to be Christians that every church needs to try to distinguish between what is a true profession of faith, somebody who's actually a believer and somebody who's not, knowing that that is what will happen at the close of the end of the age, right? Yeah, I think, I th- I think I'm with you. So let's just look back at the, at the verse real quick. Verse 37, Matthew 13. He answered, the, or I guess it's verse 38. The field is the world. And so we want to make sure we're not saying that the field is the church. Right. God is not sowing good seed and the devil sowing bad seed right. in the context of the church. And I think I would even say even the universal church. I mean, the universal church is still all saved. Sure. Yes, 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 yes. Right. And so, but, but the world has both good seed and yes. bad seed. Yes, that's good. I think, we're, I think we're on the same page. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. So, so I think what Jesus is trying to teach here is that the Son of Man has come, and he is, in, in, again, in Israel's history, finally the Son of Man has come, and he's sowing good seed. Those who follow the message of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of Jesus Christ will be good seed. These are the sons, uh, these are the sons of, uh, what does it say at the, at, the, at the very end of the passage? Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So we, we, are, we are going to be made in his image, which is, I think, another beautiful picture there. But there's going to be people in the world who are not that. They're going to be bad or they're going to bear bad fruit they're not going to be a part of this of his sowing yeah uh and so i think what jesus is trying to do here Mm -hmm. but i'd love to hear your thoughts on it too is i think it's actually a message or i guess one of the pieces of the message is about patience i mean Mm. he's trying to teach israel that be patient uh there's going to be this time in the world where there's good seed and bad seed it's gonna be really hard to distinguish both you're going to you're going to be you're going to suffer. Mm. They're going to cause you great injury and pain. And it's not for you to figure all of this out right now because at the end of time, God will. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. meanwhile, endure mm-hmm. because God's kingdom is coming. It has come and it is coming. And so in the meantime, God's people don't have to be the ones who figure out what God is going to do mm. because God will do it. Yeah, I good. do think I can see where your um, your press on the local or, you know, mm. on, on the small C church comes from because there is you know, a cursory reading in this chapter, you're like, why does Jesus tell a story about seed and different kinds of soil and then immediately turn and tell a story again about seed that's Mm -hmm. from a slightly different angle? So seen in the order and context, there is a different emphasis to this parable than to the previous one. Whereas in the previous one, there were clear distinctions between Mm -hmm. different groups. Here, the emphasis is on two things that are going to look exactly the same by all appearances uh, until a certain point at which it will become clear. So I do think you can draw some application of that into the local church. And I've even thought of this uh, frankly, from a parenting perspective, because mm. I think so often within our tradition in particular, parents are really concerned with identifying whether their child is saved or unsaved at any particular moment. Right. And I just would say that, you know, uh, there's probably a principle that can be applied in the local church and even in the home with regard to how much time we should spend fretting about who's in and who's out and instead move preach the gospel, mm-hmm. like, you know, disciple, uh, make disciples mm-hmm. and, and, and let converts happen, I yeah. guess is the way that, you know, Dallas Willard has said it. And so, um, I think it is a good point of reference in terms of where are we going to spend our energies? It's good. So when you think of Israel here, they are again, sitting under a, kind of a Roman oppression. I think Jesus is trying to direct their attention away from current circumstances and to give them hope right. in God's future vindication of them. Yeah. God, God's will and God's kingdom will eventually experience full vindication. That's good. Well, and we shouldn't miss, these are all things he's going to heighten the rhetoric on yep. as he moves along. He's not. He's also specifically aware that he is uh, making an oblique reference to the <laughs> religious 
leaders of the day who give every appearance of being those who are in the kingdom of heaven and ultimately will be shown to be not fruitful. Yeah. So if somebody is listening to this and they're like, okay, great, I want to read the parables. What does somebody do? What's kind of like step one, two, three um, when they encounter a parable? What should they, just basic hermeneutics, just give them some some advice. One of my favorite things to do is listen to them, not just That's read good. them. I love to either say them out loud. Exactly. And that can just kind of communicate something else to our senses that just allows you to, to hear and see things that you hadn't seen before. That's, That's one thing. Mm-hmm. And then listen to it again. Like give yourself a lot of listens before you turn to someone's interpretation of what's going on there so that you can, because you're going to hear different interpretations, right? Yeah. And, um, you want to land on the interpretation that's closest to your own reading of the text. Um, And then, yeah, there are some really good, people have written a lot on this. I mean, my two of my favorites are uh, Simon Kistemacher and James Montgomery Boyce. They both have books on the parables that have been a big help to me Mm -hmm. um, because what you you have to watch out for is people who want to over-allegorize them. And actually that's that's been a pattern in the history of the church. Some of the church fathers had a tendency to read, you know, like um, the, a good example would be the parable of the um, the women with the lamps. What's it called? Uh, the virgins? The ten virgins. <laughs> Thank you, the yeah. ten virgins. Okay. And, um, and how, you know, if you over-allegorize it, you begin to speak of the oil that's in their lamps as the Holy Spirit uh-huh. instead of the point being one of preparedness, right? So, so as you're looking for commentary to help you, just be aware that if there's a little too much and if it's all too neatly tied up, that mm-hmm. you probably would want to look for a source that is sure. kind of taking the same tack that Jesus does when he's interpreting them. Klein Snodgrass has a book called Stories with Intent. I think it's Stories with Intent, which is really good also. Say it again. So that- Klein Snodgrass. Okay. I believe it's called Stories <laughs> With intent. Klein Snodgrass. <laughs> I mean, just say it again. God bless that man. <laughs> um, and then context, right? I mean, which, yeah. which we did. Like, okay, where is this in the flow of the history of redemption? Yeah. What's going on in this book? I don't, Where's Jesus at? Who, like, asking who is Jesus talking to is very important. Yeah. Like, who's his immediate audience here? Is it just the disciples? Is he with the crowd? That's well, and really you know, important. with any, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, but with any, when you're trying to reach an application point, you know, you, the text cannot mean something to you that it never could have meant to its original audience. So just be really careful because there is a tendency with the parables in particular because they, again, they're deceptively simple. So you'll get commentators who've been sort of deceived into the mm-hmm. simplicity of it and want to make a simple, draw a simple line to your personal story. And there are those applications, but they should always be a product of a, of a careful consideration of what they were intended to communicate in that moment. That's really good. I want to just give two more points related okay. to reading these. And I'll point us back to the text. Verse 51 in Matthew 13 says this, have you understood these things? They said to him, yes. Uh, And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is Mm -hmm. old. I was reading some literature on this this morning, actually, and it was making the point of what we've been trying to say already is that this is taking place in the context of Israel's history. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want this to feel inaccessible for people, but to begin to kind of be able to palm or get a grasp on the parables, you have to understand Old 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 Testament. That's what I think that's what Jesus is saying here. You bring out of his treasure what is new and what is old. So you're being, you're able to see God's paradoxical kingdom is now coming to bear in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so all everything that's going on here is relating to Israel's history as revealed to us in the Old Testament scriptures. Maybe one more piece of practical advice is I think it's really important for us as listeners of Jesus and, and, and as we try to be disciples of Jesus is putting our place in the right audience as we listen to these things. Is mm-hmm. We're so quickly 
we so quickly want to view ourselves as good guys, the good guy in the story, or the kind of the, the victor in the story. And just it's important when we when we hear Jesus say, he who has ears, let him hear. Ask yourself, am I hearing the paradoxical, subversive nature That's of the good. kingdom of God as revealed mm-hmm. in Jesus Christ? Or am I bringing my assumptions to bear on the text that are actually at odds with the kingdom of God? Mm-hmm. And so, am I, in other words, am I allowing these parables to dismantle my understanding of yeah. the kingdom of God and be rebuilt? Or am I just bringing my assumptions to bear? And so I think the parables just, they should be giving us this level of dying to self so that we can be alive in Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. We'll see you next time. Grace and peace.